overall, what we saw was an improvement in feed efficiency, and that is energy corrected milk divided by intake. Welcome back, everyone, to the Dairy Science Digest. This is a podcast designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to the ears of dairy producers. I'm Reagan Bluell from the University of Missouri Dairy Team, and today we're taking a dive into the room and, and specifically talking about the obscure details of feeding the fiber-degrading bacteria. So with us today, we've got Jeff Ferkins from the Ohio State University, where they milk Jersey cows at the Waterman Dairy Teaching and Research Complex. That's only about one mile away from the famous uh, football shoe where the Buckeyes play. They're so lucky to have a facility close to campus to provide undergraduates access to quality feeding research trials such as the one we're talking about today. So, so Jeff, welcome to Dairy Science Digest. Could you please tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Okay, I'm Jeff Ferkins. I'm a dairy nutritionist at, at Ohio State. Uh, I was originally from Illinois, North, North Central Illinois. And I've been here about, uh, actually about 36 years. So, and I was recently on the NASM and nutrient requirements for dairy. And so anyway, I'm glad to be here for you. You're in the know about all things within the rumen. And you worked with a team of undergrad and grad students and equipped with a 60 Jersey cows and a tie stall to ensure you got daily feed intakes and milk production data to create the results that were talking about today that are published in the featured article titled Assessing Milk Response to Different Combinations of Branch Chain, Volatile Fatty Acids, and Valerie in Jersey Cows. And so branch chain fatty acids, uh, volatile fatty acids, are sometimes known as isoacids. And I guess before we get too deep into this ruminant nutrition discussion, let's talk a little bit about the background of this topic. Could you please explain what are isoacids or branch chain volatile fatty acids and why would you even consider supplementing them? Okay. Actually, when, when I was a student, it, it was all it was. Um, so for one thing, we know that many of the cellulitic species of bacteria and then some others as well require branch chain BFA because they've basically lost the ability to make their own. And the branch BFA can be used to make branch chain amino acids. They can't live without them. But I think probably more importantly, in the membranes of their cells, they, the branch chain BFA get elongated mostly to about 15 carbons. And those are placed in the membranes and they help them to be sort of fluid or kind of a little bit squishy so that things can go in and in and out of the membrane. The cell needs to grow and obviously it's pinching itself off and so on when it does that. So a fluid membrane is quite important. Um, when I was leaving Illinois, actually I applied for a job at uh, Kodak where they had been marketing a, a product called IsoPlus. And I always say, I'm glad I didn't get that job because <laughs> so they had lots of studies that showed that it worked. It basically just wasn't enough to pay the bills and actually Kodak shut down their whole facility and everything. But there were a number of studies done with that, mostly showing improvement in feed efficiency is the most consistent thing. And so I understand actually, actually when I was there, I did a postdoc with a fellow there named Jimmy Clark, who was quite a remarkable guy. And uh, I remember actually smelling ISO plus and it was like, whoa, 
Mm. And even when we work in the lab and branch chain VFA, you have to use them under the hood. They're they're quite pungent. Yeah. But Zinpro has found a way to mask most of the smell. So we're we're able to kind of move back into the space. Let's see how this works, especially when we're trying to lower protein in the diet to decrease nitrogen excretion in the manure. Definitely a targeted objective going forward in in dairy sciences. We're trying to be mindful of that. And and nitrogen, frankly, is a a pretty sizable expense to the ration too. And so let's talk a little bit about the treatments. You alluded to Zimpro being the source and, and they definitely have fixed the palatability problem. I saw no intake issues, but... Tell us what, what the different treatments were for these 60 jerseys. So the original ISO Plus product had all three of the branch chain VFA, all the fatty acids, and then they had valerate, which is a straight form. It's grouped in with them, but it's not an ISO acid because it's a straight chain. So we, we had one treatment that basically tried to mimic that one. Our in vitro research that's also been published has, has shown that 2-methylbutyrate is the one that's the most needed. Second, isobutyrate. And then typically we found isovalerate, the third one, either wasn't as necessary or perhaps could be replaced by isobutyrate. So we kind of stepped down from the ISO plus one to the two that we thought would be most needed down to the one that we thought was most. And then we compared that to a control without any of the branch chain DNA. Yeah, so just trying to discern which combination of these branched-chain fatty acids might be optimal for milk production and efficiency. So let's let's just start right there. Let's talk a little bit about the production parameters. Did you, did you see any effect on, on production? You know, we did see some changes in milk fat and milk protein percentage. It kind of follows what the National Plus work showed that when we looked at, and this was with multiparous cows, when older cows, and when you provide them, they, they seem to be able to manage an improvement. In, we think an improvement in fiber digestibility provides more acetate to make more milk fat. And they seem to be routing it that way toward the milk. Primaryparous cows, they seem to, at times, route it toward growth. Yeah, let's pause. Let's kind of zoom in on that a little bit. There was a, a parity effect, right? And so your first lactation animals versus your multiparous. So you're saying that those aged cows turned it more into milk and your young ones were, were growing. Is that correct? Yeah, so that that's kind of what we saw in this one. So overall, what we saw was an improvement in feed efficiency, and that is energy corrected milk divided by intake. That wasn't because they, on average, overall parity, that we found that that really wasn't a result of average daily gain. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it does seem it does seem to help to improve feed efficiency. I like I said, several of the studies that have been published previously have shown that, and some of the field research is kind of backing that up as well. You know, there's lots of effort that Zimpro is doing to really tell people here's how best to use our product. Mm-hmm. and not to use it. I mean, so for example, we, we think that if you really starve the, the rumen of nitrogen, you're not going to get value on, uh, of these branch VFA. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the main thing is it's like everything. It's not a silver bullet. It's the branch VFA. They're just really, you know, here's a way to use them to complement what the rumen would otherwise be providing in a lower protein diet, but we can't lower it too much or we're not going to see the effect. 
Right. And this was 16%, right? Yeah. In fact, what, you know, we just did a study. We fed a diet less than 15%. We think we limit room and pneumonia and we just didn't see some of the response. Mm. So branch BFA, it turned into branch amino acids by using ammonia. Uh, right. And it's so it's got to be present to be building blocks. Got be, it. Yeah. But all these things are all sort of um, concentration dependent. They're, they have to be absorbed. The bugs are competing with each other and uh, on. So we think that you need to have kind of the right amount, enough protein in the diet to see a response. But if you feed a really high protein diet, like, you know, some people still do probably that's on its way out then you're not going to see a response i mean branch vfa are made naturally right right so but it's a it's a it's a really fun research project because you get we've seen shifts in microbes and and then sometimes we see that all the microbes get stimulated it's like we're helping to all work together wow the synergy branch vfa so very cool it's been really fun project yeah, you bet. Absolutely. And so did you do a bunch of the in vitro work prior to the in vivo? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's been published actually last year. So we did a bunch of that. We have some more that's actually two of them are accepted and one more is coming. I'm hoping will be accepted maybe next week. And hey. yeah, but it all kind of fits together and how to use these. It's like I said, it's been really cool. We've done a lot of C13 labeling of the branch VFA and follow where oh. all is backed up by appropriate pathways and expectations. It's been, it's, oh, it's cool. really a good project for yeah. students to understand. Here's how the rumen works and so on. Something was going on around week, week seven of the trial. And for those of you that are interested in looking at the figures and, and understanding how those are starting to pull apart through that time, there's a link to the paper there in the comments of the podcast. And you can click right in and see uh, specifically there on, say, both figure four and three show show it's starting to pull the treatments are pulling apart around that that week seven. Could you talk? about what you think might be happening there in the room and during that time? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. So let, let me backtrack and say that we, we were thinking isovalerate wouldn't be as needed because the, the precursor for that is leucine and there's lots of room integrated leucine and corn-based diets. And so, you know, there's always some production of the branch VFA anyway. It's just, uh, do the microbes need them? Mm. And it seems to happen as they get longer on the trial, there's probably less responsiveness just because there's the milk production is going down. And But mostly what I think is happening is kind of look through the, the papers and the field data on it. Usually what we think will happen is they get later in milk, then uh, cows don't need energy. And mm-hmm. they basically lower their intake to meet energy demands. So there's that kind of effect going on there. Sure, absolutely. And so if if you were to look at this at a different stage of lactation, or could you potentially utilize this as a way to manage feed inventory? Like maybe decrease overall intake for those later cows or or manage body condition score in that way? Is that a strategy that could be used? 
Yeah. So what I think is happening in early lactation when when cows, you know, can't quite get enough groceries in them, then if you can improve fiber digestibility, they get a little more energy out of it, but there's also less restriction of based on volume bill. So they can get a little bit more intake. And so they'll then increase energy intake and put that more toward milk. And later lactation is like kind of what I described previously, I feel like then cows sense that they don't need the energy and they would lower intake. In that case, it's still an improvement because like you said, they're not necessarily needing as much to eat and it would mm-hmm. be beneficial that way. In both directions. Yeah. And and just for clarity, this group of animals, they were uh, around 100 days of milk. And do you think that there was any breed effect? I know it specifically in the title says that they were all brown cows, Jersey cows. Um, would you see the same thing in, in say, Holsteins, you think? Yeah, we, we think the same thing is probably happening in, in Holsteins. So, for example, other studies have been done. And I think maybe not all, but most of the earlier ISO plus studies were done with Holsteins. And so we're finding kind of the same findings as they did. So yeah, I'm quite sure it would be that way. A rumen is a rumen is a rumen, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> it's, you know, so there could be like in our case, we showed as we fed more to methylbutyrate, we got more of the elongation product in the milk from that. So there could be maybe little differences in milk fatty acids resulting from Jersey's versus Holstein's. There have been some documented effects that way. I haven't really sorted that out myself, but if you're just looking at energy corrected milk relative to dry matter intake, I would expect all breeds to follow the same kind of pattern. Sure. When you're talking about the elongation of the of the fatty acids in the milk, is that specific to, to table three there where you started to see an effect of the anti-ISO fatty acids? Yes. Yes. Help me out there, Doc. Could you talk a little more about how would that impact the quality of the milk or the desirability of the milk in the marketplace? Well, I'm glad you asked that, actually. So I actually looked into that and Anytime you're changing something, uh, obviously the consumer, it's important that they have confidence in what you're doing. And the studies that have been done in the human nutrition space, most of them are actually showing more of these iso acids in the milk is actually healthful. Hmm. It could be a good thing. I'm seeing a few manuscripts now that are coming through that are suggesting that it actually, we should be doing this from milk composition standpoint for people. I don't think there's enough evidence at this time for me to make a recommendation, but I can say very confidently, if anything, it will be good. And the worst that would be is that it would be a neutral effect, but I rather feel like it probably has some some benefits. Sure. And and so those are fatty acids that are, are greater than 16 carbon chain. Is that correct? Of them, so they come from the microbes themselves mostly, and they want to make them around 15 carbons, really between 14 and 17, well, maybe 13 and 17, but mostly 14 and 16 are the major ones. So they are just give an average of 15. And maybe there's a little bit of elongation, two more carbons by the by the cow, but that's probably not very much. Most of it is from the microbes themselves and they get digested their proteins turned into amino acids and their lipids are turned into fatty acids that are absorbed 
And like I said, it seems like those go to various tissues. They have kind of healthful benefits. So anyway, we'll see. Yeah. You know, I, I just wish we could pause and appreciate the cow a little bit more. Just as a, the cow is a model and the fact that, that we're talking about changing the microorganisms that are living symbiotically within her rumen and how those microorganisms as they, as they perish, get absorbed by the cow. Um, that's just so cool. And I know it's, it's ruminant nutrition 101 and, and the fundamentals of, of what's happening inside those, those beasts that we're, we're dealing with every day. But I just think it's so fascinating and how if we keep those bugs happy, then it, it's going to impact and keep her healthier. So, Talking more about that, these are potentially helping change or manipulate the, the fluid membrane of those microorganisms. Can you speak a little bit about what you might have found as those bacteria are being absorbed and changing the nitrogen that the cows get receiving through the amino acid sequences? What you see in, in MUNs or what, what's going on with nitrogen efficiencies? Okay, so what we're you know, we, us and others are looking at, of course, we're all trying to improve nitrogen efficiency. The, that is the amount of nitrogen that's recovered in milk products relative to what we fed and therefore not lost in the manure. So we're, we're all trying to do that. Some of our other work has shown that when we dose these branch chain BFA, they actually improve the amount of microbial protein. So you actually get a little more microbial protein flowing from the rumen, and the protein itself is a little more enriched in the branch chain amino acids. And so that's all a good thing. Of course, milk is super with respect to the amino acid profile that it provides to people. And there's a lot of people that consume whey when they're exercising and so on. That's because of the branch chain profile of milk. So anything we can do to improve efficiency, not only is profitable and better for the environment, but it's better for the product, really. Mm -hmm. There's more of what people are really wanting. And then from the fatty acid standpoint, I actually kind of have reviewed this sometimes. The milk fat, the kinds of fatty acids that are in there, including perhaps these branch chain ones, are actually very helpful for people. And so there's lots of studies where milk or dairy products have been evaluated with respect to different kinds of metabolic diseases in people and so on. Mm -hmm. And I'm really proud to be working in an industry that really is providing a valuable product that's good for people over and over. You bet. When I see people you know, not drinking milk because it's so good for you. I it is. And, and, you know, and kind of stand on my soapbox and, and preach to them about that. That's right. Well, and I think you're you're in a crowd of of friends on this podcast because I know dairy producers and, and nutritionists alike are listening in. And if there if there was one specific thing from this project, a recommendation or what would you like boots on the ground to know from this effort? Okay, thanks. You know, so I'll just go back into the history, my history. It's always made a big impression on me that I want to work in a field where we're really, we're good stewards. We're using nutrients appropriately. So dairy already is very efficient at converting non-human edible products into great products for people. So they're already doing that. Well, if we can improve that further, so we have kind of shown on average when we've measured it, 
most of the time we see something like three to five percent fiber digestibility improvement. Mm. If we can improve fiber digestibility, that's using forages and fibrous byproducts that are not going to be used by people, converting that into a better product that people are going to use and is helpful. Mm -hmm. So I guess that would be the main thing I'd leave you with. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, Dr. Ferkins, this has been very informative and I want to thank you for your time. And listeners, I applaud you for taking time out of your day today to learn about supplemental strategies to improve fiber digestion in your herd. I've really enjoyed our conversation and this has been the May edition of the Dairy Science Digest, a monthly podcast project designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to your ears. We highlight peer-reviewed research articles, actively impressed, sound science that you know you can base your management decisions around, provided by your University of Missouri dairy team. So be sure to like, share, and subscribe to get future editions straight to your cell phone. This is Reagan Blue with the Dairy Science Digest, and I hope you have a great day.